Hi, friends. Hello. We didn't do an introduction last time. Yeah, we did. Not. Uh, it was not happy. Well, I mean, what we were talking about was fucking miserable. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, this episode, however, but we didn't introduce ourselves last time. Oh. Hi, I'm Jake. Hi, I'm Evan. <laughs> Evan. Now you're just toying with my emotions. Uh, <laughs> welcome to episode 48 of the Handsome Hockey Podcast, folks. Uh, we are elated to be talking about happy things. Yeah, the reason that I brought that back is because we're going to talk about <laughs> the Connecticut whale. Now you're just stealing my shit. You're a fucking podcasting grifter, and I don't appreciate it. You know, it. you temporarily had emphysema. I needed to do it. Okay, fine. Uh, so today we are talking about the NWH, I mean, sorry, damn, uh, the <laughs> PHF season seven preview, uh, for those of you who don't know, and we'll get the, into this more in depth here in a little bit, the PHF, the premier hockey federation is the new iteration of the NWHL, the national women's hockey league. And they did a bit of a name change this season. We'll get into that a little bit later. But a bit of a switcheroo. A bit of a rebrand. I don't know which is worse, uh, PHF or Meta. I think I'm going to go with Meta. <laughs> meta is definitely worse. Yeah. When you take the fucking Auntie Annie's pretzel logo and like <laughs> roll it out as you know a tech company. Like- you, you also roll out pretzels. So, um, however... <laughs> We're here to talk about hockey, uh, in particular, the Premier Hockey Federation, uh, which is the preeminent women's hockey league in North America, and uh, their season starts this Saturday, November 6th. Uh, we will hopefully have this edit episode edited before then. I mean, right now, your rate is at like having it edited by the time I go to bed, so... No, that will not happen because I will be going to bed. <laughs> no, that was that was just a compliment. You have been so efficient at getting episodes out for our tiny little backwater operation. Like you deserve a public commendation. I deserve a raise to zero dollars. Yeah, we'll see about that. My 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 title as co-host is now co-host. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive into this PHF preview, uh, it's. It's really important that we state out of the gate, um, we are absolutely not either women's hockey or PHF experts. While our knowledge has grown exponentially since we started this podcast, like roughly a year ago today, we're still learning the culture, the history, the penal- uh, the personalities that make the PHF such an indispensable part of the hockey landscape. You were going to say penalties, and I maintain that the penalties are still the same. That's that's convenient. That's very true, yeah. Penalties do stay the same. So since we are not experts in this field, it's really important to us. We're not ho- we're not experts in the NHL either, but we can fake it a little bit more. <laughs> so we, we listen to enough other podcasts. Yes. For this preview of the phf season seven it's really important to us that we acknowledge our sources and the great work that other people do Mm -hmm. in order to bring 
this coverage and really just if you listen to us, you should be reading them uh, and listening to them and whatever, because they're great. Yeah. So uh, the first one, everyone at the Ice Garden, uh, theicegarden.com. It's SB Nation's uh, women's hockey flagship blog. They have an incredible collection of writers. Uh, Mike McCarthy, uh, Cy Morley, Dan Rice, Antarkarski, Angelica Rodriguez, amongst many others that do a brilliant job over there. Uh, They cover the PHF, the PWHPA, women's college hockey. They have their fingers on the pulse of everything that is professional and collegiate women's hockey. And this preview does nothing without their work. And so thank you to them. Yeah, uh, I love Aunt Carsey, especially because she is attending my alma mater, University of Illinois, and does a great job with sort of Illinois sports, Illinois hockey stuff talking about Illinois women's hockey. It's hard to have fun in Champaign-Urbana, so shout out to her. <laughs> uh, yeah, look for all of them on Twitter. They're all there. Give them a follow. Give them likes. But also check out theicegarden.com. It's a really incredibly well-run and a great resource for uh, for women's hockey in general. Also, the team at Victory Press, that's victorypress.org. They're an independent publication, mm-hmm. uh, so not affiliated with like SB Nation, like the Ice Garden is. They focus a lot on gender and social issue- issues in sports, uh, and they particularly emphasize or put their emphasis on women's hockey. So there's a ton of uh, uh, also uh, women's college hockey and PHF and PWHPA work going on there also they have some excellent web design like (laughs) i am uh every time i go to victory press i'm just enamored with how much i love their web layout um but they uh they also have some incredible writers Uh, melissa burgess is in like indispensable to the women's hockey beat her twitter feed is an absolute follow a must follow if you care about women's hockey at all um, Andrew, another one of their writers, uh, did a brilliant piece on the PHF trans inclusionary policy that mm. we will get to a little bit later. Uh, it also a must read. It's like just some some brilliant work overall um, over there at VictoryPress.org. So um, give them a shout. Donate to them if you have some extra cash laying around, or like you know you just cleaned out your couch cushions and took it to a coin star or something <laughs> like use that money to donate to them. They are independent and they are an incredible resource. And then finally, and absolutely not least, um, maybe even most of all, uh, DF Pendries follow them and their work at DF Pendries. That's D F P E N D R Y S on Twitter. They have been covering not only the PHF, but also college women's hockey and gymnastics and volleyball mm-hmm. and all these other sports. Like, how can, how do you cover that much sports? I'm so impressed. If you go to their YouTube channel. Which is Glive Sports, G-L-A-I-V-E. It's unreal. Yeah. <laughs> it's There's amazing. so much content on this, and you'll be there for hours. And uh, <laughs> so we apologize ahead of time for being your window into that YouTube rabbit hole. But DF does incredible work. Uh, they had an interview with Digit Murphy and Joanna Boynton of the Toronto Six maybe like a month ago. That was so good. It was in 
tense and perfect and wonderful and really asks some hard hitting questions of uh, some people who deserve to have hard hitting questions asked of them after Digit Murphy's summer of, you know, putting their name on a trans exclusionary policy and work mm-hmm. group. Uh, check out all of their stuff. Uh, DF is incredible. And like we, we really want to give them a special shout out because they have been one of the most helpful folks out there uh, for us, both in reaching a wider audience but more, much more importantly, around like helping us become a better inclusive podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of coaching us and saying, "Hey, you guys, you know, said something a little bit off color there. Like you, you can do better next time." And well, we, we've been trying and continued to. So you know, it's it's been a huge help. Every contact we've had from them, and like every time they put out a repeat an episode of ours, it makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah knowing that DF cares enough to put out like a tweet about our episodes is like one of the most heartwarming aspects of doing this podcast Mm -hmm. because they do an incredible job and we respect the hell out of them. So thank you DF for your support and taking the time with like two guys who don't have all of it figured out yet, but are really (laughs) trying and for being really patient with us. Uh, We cannot thank you enough. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Amen to that. So with uh, with the acknowledgments done, <laughs> this was one hell of an off season. Yeah, they they definitely had a eventful off season. The name change <laughs> is just kind of the beginning of how much happened this off season. Yeah, when the off season started, the PHF didn't exist, but boy howdy, here it is. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we've gotten into it in previous episodes, kind of about the name change. Uh, you know, it seemed a little arbitrary, but we're supportive of the league, and so we're going to be supportive of the name change. Uh, but they ditched the National Women's Hockey League, NWHL, to form the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation. And jokes aside... That happened. There are many jokes to be made, I right. think, about this name change. But A lot one, of them we already made. Yes. But uh, yeah, we have an episode where we talk about failed name changes and the PHF is definitely in there. If you like do like a hashtag PHF on Twitter, mm-hmm. you will find like one Premier Hockey Federation reference and like 40 others that have absolutely nothing to do with the PHF. So there's there's some branding missteps and whatnot. One positive outcome, though, is that they they truly removed gender from the name of the mm-hmm. uh, of the league, and that works in, a, in in two ways. One is, I mean, the the NHL doesn't have National Men's Hockey League in it, right? No. And so, why should the National Women's Hockey League have to have that moniker as well? You mm-hmm. know, this very valid point. This is a further. Um, celebration of their athletes and not as women athletes but as athletes Mm -hmm. and i think that's really important and the second thing that this really does is that it's a first step towards kind of removing gender from the league and that allows the league to become a more inclusive environment for trans athletes non-binary athletes in theory Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to that. That's, that's called foreshadowing folks. Um, <laughs> look at that English degree working. Uh, and so it, it, this allows for the league to, you know, set the 
framework or the groundwork for becoming a more inclusive uh, league, which was super important for a league that had a lot of missteps towards inclusivity this summer. Most notably, uh, Digit Murphy, who is the president and former head coach of the Toronto Six, um, put their name on a very trans-exclusionary policy from the Women's Sports Policy Working Group. uh, And was revealed to be working on that turf working group. Removing gender from the name of the league did kind of alleviate some of these issues. They sort of did it before also then releasing the trans, the new trans inclusion policy and that kind of, you know, opened them up to more criticism that they maybe were due. Yeah. If they had released the name change and the policy together, I think this whole thing would have made a whole lot more sense. Yes. It was, it was, uh, let's say ham fisted a little <laughs> bit, but also they're a small league. They're scrappy. Like I can understand how, you know, this thing goes like I've been working on new jerseys for our team for all season. Like I can't only imagine trying to run a whole league. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. Um, especially one where it feels like the fan base falls into like polemic, uh, dispute mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. You have a lot of very diverse opinions that kind of need to be pleased and are easily kind of, you know, displeased uh, for very valid reasons. So yeah, I don't envy their position and that leads me to be more understanding of the sort of name change. For sure. Uh, so the name change is the first step of their off season strategy, I guess, of rebranding and refocusing their efforts. The second and much more significant step was the PHF released a new transgender inclusion policy for athletes in the league. Um, This was a very substantive step forward, and we're going to tackle the problematic language in this Mm -hmm. probably way more in depth, definitely way more in depth than we are the positive language in it. However, it needs to be addressed that there are some positive steps here. Mm -hmm. Um, the first being the previous iteration of their their transgender athlete policy. Uh, it really... It was pretty stark. It was stark, and it othered people really harshly. Yeah. And while you're automatically othering people by having a policy to begin with um, that specifically st- talks about those people who you're othering... You can go about it in softer, more positive, more inclusive ways. Yeah. It, you know, figuring out how to include trans people in women's sports is one of the most difficult propositions in sports these days and in, you know, better integrating trans people with sporting opportunities and public at large. Yeah. It's, it's difficult mostly because people are dumb. Right. If, chodes on the internet are going to be anti-trans they are going to go directly to women's sports and make their noise there like that's how it works all the time i appreciate your usage of the word chodes that was like a very seventh grade word but i like again it made me nostalgic um uh so the first 
really good step that this policy has is that it removes arbitrary hormone levels as a safeguard against you know what the league determines is somebody who is able to participate uh hormone levels as has been scientifically proven over and over again are really arbitrary determiners for Mm -hmm. who is and isn't a quote unquote a woman or whatever right uh you know this hormone levels are different for people across all genders and right. so from one uh, from one person that identifies in that gender to another it was kind of a, a mistake to ever be policing hormone levels in the to, in the first place yeah you're you're creating a threshold f- that is arbitrary and it's based on little to no actual science and it's you're using that threshold as an exclusionary device mm-hmm. rather than creating something that is open and obvious and uh welcoming yeah for you know maybe to make it more clear uh there are very feminine people that naturally have very high testosterone levels like this was a you know easy to settle on metric that turned out to be mm, fairly incorrect the second thing that the new policy does is it specifically includes trans men and non-binary athletes who were assigned male at birth Mm. uh, which is a significant step in that it's much more broad and inclusive and addresses folks you know on the gender spectrum who had not ever really been addressed in policy in a uh like a you know quote unquote women's sports league before um which is really outstanding to see the fact that it like very directly addresses the these groups is a giant step forward i think um and while again and as we'll get into here in a moment not perfect it is a step forward um this the PHF policy is a really big step forward uh, and is far more inclusive than many of the other women's professional sports leagues throughout North America. And so I think the PHF should be given credit where credit is due for making that leap and making an actual um, attempt at something that is more inclusionary. Yeah. Uh- the league lay also lays out a like a plan of uh, a course of action for folks who are in the league currently but may want to come out mm-hmm. and that is also extremely helpful i think uh you know giving people a window of opportunity where they may not have had one in the past is it's great and i i think again this is this is a a big step forward Mm -hmm. there's also some really kind of troubling aspects of it. Yeah. It's not without problems. Right. Uh, One of the, this isn't the biggest issue, but maybe is the root of all the other issues is that uh, no trans women seem to have actually been consulted when crafting this policy. Uh, The PHF uh, was asked about this and declined to answer. Um, They, very the phf proudly spoke about how they included athlete ally and chris Mosier, who is a famous trans athlete um that were part of the team that crafted this policy um but chris Mosier is a trans man 
and athlete ally is run and operated by a cisgendered man. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but that is problematic. Yeah. We understand, you know, being a cisgendered man and fully supportive of trans athletes. But, uh, if I was put in the position to craft this policy, I would definitely defer to a lot of trans women. I would immediately abdicate that position. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, abdicate or not like bring, the voices that need to be heard into the fold. Crafting a policy that directly affects trans women's ability to play a sport, but not checking with them with regards to the inclusion or efficacy of those proposed changes is really problematic. Yeah. Um, at worst, this reflects kind of the league's lack of actual progress with regards to trans and non-binary inclusivity. Uh, at best this new policy is kind of like a show pony for its progressive rhetoric um with no actual progressive teeth behind it sort of like the women that stan bowman trotted out at the draft to say hey look the chicago blackhawks hire women that was one of the most cringeworthy moments in the last year yeah this is definitely better than that but uh you know on the same lines from a an actual like policy level though the policy sets a requirement of living in your identity for two years uh, for trans men and non-binary athletes who are assigned male at birth. And the, like you have to have, you have to be able to show that you had quote unquote lived in your identity for two years. And this is problematic for a number of reasons, but the two major ones that jump out are the guiding principles of the new policy state quote unquote, that the PHF respects all backgrounds, experiences, and identities and assumes from the outset that athletes who compete under these rules are doing so to play hockey as who they truly are, not to gain a competitive advantage. One, why do you even have to fucking say that? And <laughs> and then two, they go Ronald Reagan and say, uh, trust but verify. Yeah. Two, like, if the PHF truly believes this, then why is there a two-year waiting period for transgender men and non-binary folks who are assigned male at birth. You're very strongly stating that we're, we don't think people are coming here with a comp- to gain a competitive advantage, but then saying, actually, we think you're here to comp- gain a competitive advantage. There's little to no explanation for why the PHF would ostracize and place further qualifications on groups of people other than the fact that they feel that these athletes would be participating with a competitive advantage. Which, you know, this has been proven time and time and time and time again to be a false flag that, you know, Republicans and conservative uh, blowhards bring up when they're trying to, you know, prevent trans women from playing in sports. And every time it comes up, it's proven to be bullshit and just like fear mongering. The PHF especially should be doing a better job to include folks, folks, and enforcing a waiting period on them just doesn't do that like that's also seems especially long like we make you know athletes who transfer colleges sit out what a year like that's maybe far more palatable than two years the victory press article actually goes into in depth on this and talks about how one year is actually kind of the mandatory Uh, or not mandatory, but kind of like the benchmark in the past. And so this is actually double the time that most leagues require people to kind of wait to participate. They're making double sure. It's like they're wearing two condoms. Well, it's like the PHF before they wrote this policy 
they had like all these good ideas. And then unfortunately they watched Joanna man. (laughs) And it turns out that movie is not based on actual events whatsoever. And it's actually a terrible movie. Um, I mean, I think that was assumed from the outset that it was cinematographically horrible. Yeah. But it's also a very like, awful false flag for trans people yeah i hope that movie ruined the careers of everybody involved in it there there are people whose lives are like actually being ruined by what is effectively an arbitrary timeline the 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 second big issue with this is that this policy and this goes with it being an arbitrary timeline is that the policy in no way states what is the actual start of that two-year wait period it doesn't talk about having a conversation with a therapist or talking with a doctor or coming out to your friends or coming out to your parents. Like there's no actual framework set for what is the start of that two year timeline. And what this does is it allows the league to kind of move those goalposts. It gives them the elasticity in this, in this policy to say, Oh, well, uh, you know, you only actually came out to the league six weeks ago. So that's actually the start of your, of your living in your identity. Whereas opposed to this person who came at like it, it creates double standards and it creates this like vague gray area as to what is like, what is considered you living within your identity. And it also makes the league, the arbiter of what constitutes leaving living in your identity. And for people who have been othered their entire lives, this even this segregates, even the people who have been othered into further otheredness. Like Mm -hmm. this, like puts people from further from like, you know, Inclusion. Center, who have been dealing with it their entire lives. The league is simultaneously saying this is when you began living your identity while also saying you have to prove that you've been living in your identity. It feels extremely disingenuous and it feels like this is actually going to prevent folks who might have otherwise applied to play in the PHF mm-hmm. and been accepted. It'll prevent them from actually applying because of that fear of rejection that now hangs over this process. Yeah. It sort of seems like it is cut that way in that it's kind of exclusive to new and prospective players, but inclusive of people that we're also already used to having around and, and, you know, are already part of the community. Also, if you go down the Joanna man Wikipedia rabbit hole. Oh God. Holy fucking shit. That, that is a Wikipedia article that I could, I did. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't read that, uh, before. And now I have to, after we're done recording today. Yeah, you should. I, I'm sorry. I, I... <laughs> this is one of the byproducts of us sitting on our computers while we <laughs> record. Uh, we have access to things. The internet is an amazing place. And out. the worst place. <laughs> The vagueness of the language allows for folks who do submit themselves for admission to the league to be termed, quote unquote, not trans enough when they are told that they have not met eligibility requirements. And, you know, for a segment of the population, as we were saying earlier, who has been othered their entirety, the entirety of their lives, 
this is adding an unnecessarily traumatic event to their yeah, lives. Yeah, indeed. Like, how can you not, how can you be not trans enough? Like, right. It, it, that a person can make a life-altering proclamation to come out as trans and transgender or non-binary and then be told by the PHF that this is not good enough, that's really fucking exclusionary and does not create a welcoming environment for these communities. Yeah, I fully agree. Ultimately, this policy is a step in the right direction, and we don't want to only talk about the negativity because it is a step in the right direction. However, there are some really negative aspects to it. Um both the Victory Press and Ice Garden articles about the new policy state that this is still a policy by cis gatekeepers for cis gatekeepers that appears to be progressive, but ultimately still creates unnecessary barriers for participation and attempts to appease the trans parts or the anti-trans parts of the PHF fan base while also being quote-unquote more inclusive of athletes across a broad spectrum of gendered identities. Right, we're talking about, you know, appearance and not action. Eventually, you you can't cowtail to both of these sides. Mm-hmm. You either are going to include people who legitimately want to be included in your league and participate in your league, or you have to just kind of say, we're just going to go with the anti-trans folks here and like, that's going to be our inclusivity and you, cause you can't play both sides. Mm. E- eventually you end up alienating both and then you have no fans. Yeah. It's a classic fence sitter problem. Yeah. Especially for a league like the PHF that has kind of couched itself in this progressive language throughout its entirety, the entirety of its existence. If you sit on that fence you end up just destroying your feasibility and your reliability with all of your fan base. And maybe your pants too, because sitting on a fence is bad for pants. Super painful, yeah. I lost many a pant leg in my day from I mean, fences. I'm, you know, from the home of barbed wire. So imagine, imagine how bad the pants were in, in barbed wire land. They would probably be very trendy now, actually. <laughs> You you can't have both, unfortunately. If you want a progressive league that is inclusive of athletes across a broad spectrum of gendered identities, you're going to jettison some of the fans who simply cannot and will not allow for the idea that there are more than two genders and that all of them, save, you know, cisgendered men, deserve the right to participate in the PHF. You know, those are the type of fans that... I think the PHF and all leagues need to learn to live without. And it's probably a fairly small minority. Let's hope. They're very vocal and they vote in Virginia. So (laughs) the PHF is at some point going to have to kind of draw a line in the sand and say either we are an inclusive league or we cowtail to this small but vocal segment of the fan base who is like not and how do i explain this to my kids like blah 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 uh you give them a fucking book that's how but <laughs> uh we recognize that it's a process you know like this is like it is a step in the right direction it's got some problems but hopefully it is a step in the right direction like hopefully there is a next step to follow this that does a better job than this um solve some of the problems that have been presented here like that's what we're hoping for yeah and with that said we want to end our storylines segment on an extremely positive note yeah this is such a huge move it's 
like if i can be frank fucking awesome (laughs) Uh, as much as i love twitch this is a little easier to access uh what we're talking about is the PHF has signed for the upcoming 2021-2022 season an exclusive uh, North American or American streaming deal with ESPN Plus. Huge. It's like, say what you want about ESPN. Yeah, it's kind of trashy, but it's also the number one sports authority in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they've brought in hockey in the NHL in the off season. And they've gone so far as to bring in women's hockey now too. Like that's a great move in that, you know, these two developments happened in almost in concert with each other. And it kind of feels like, okay, ESPN is now into hockey and it's across the board. ESPN plus showing the NHL games has not gotten me to come over from cracked streams yet, but Showing the PHF definitely will bring me over. I will be a paying ESPN member by Saturday. It increases the visibility on such a dramatic level of the PHF. Um, All 60 regular season games and the playoffs are going to be streamed on ESPN+. Plus. You know, we saw an increase in visibility last year with the Twitch streaming of games and the uh, NBC, NBC Sports uh, the dearly departed NBC sports uh, showing <laughs> is it dearly? <laughs> no, fuck them. Uh, but they, they showed the Isabel cup semifinals and finals live. Okay. Yeah, they did that. They did that. Um, it's an entirely different level from that. Like ESPN is the number one. I'm going to keep saying this probably for the next two to three minutes, but like they are the number one sports authority in the United States. Hands down. It's not even close. And they are showing every single PHF game this season. The sports equipment, sports authority business might have a problem with. They are they are the Dick's Sporting Goods <laughs> of sports on TV. But yeah, it, it's awesome to see this get picked up by ESPN Plus. Like I hope that all of you know this army of writers that they've hired and and kind of personalities that they've hired also adopts PHF and women's hockey just as heartily as their parent company has. I mean, I would love to see Greg Wyshynski and Puck Soup talk women's hockey and, you know, how, like, awesome LaVisa Sealander is and talk about Mallory Suliotis's cats. Like, that would be dope. (laughs) I mean, they they are great cats. Hell yeah. ESPN Plus, like, for those who didn't know, and we haven't really talked about this at all, I think, on the podcast, they show a ton of college hockey, including women's college hockey. Hmm. So they have a ton of hockey content already that you would not find anywhere else. Like, Hmm. I was on there the other day and it was like Cornell versus Brown in women's hockey. And I was like, yeah, I'll fucking watch that. Like, and then you tune in and it's like, oh, butcher grass, what are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. This is a huge, 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 huge deal for the Premier Hockey Federation. It's great because those of us like Evan and I, who like last season arbitrarily chose teams and were like, I'm going to watch the Twitch streams of those while they're in the mm-hmm. wubble. God, I miss saying that. I, I, I know. I, I will forever miss the wubble. I think nobody else will actually miss the wubble, but we will miss the wubble. No, from all accounts, the wubble was awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most, everybody was Everybody suffering. got COVID. Over, like COVID ran rough shot through that thing. Um, but this not only uh, increases access to f- people who are already fans of the game and of the sport, it also 
allows people who are like diving into the sport for the first time mm-hmm. and are like let's be honest the connecticut whale logo is fucking awesome <laughs> and so like they see that logo and they're like that's really cool what is that and they're like oh i'll click on this game oh it's women's hockey and then they like just like for whatever reason fall in love or yeah. like or on the very minute scale are intrigued about it enough to watch another game. They're like, I like the team with the whale logo. Where do I find their next game? (laughs) Oh, also here on ESPN plus it's all right here. And I already have access to this. Yeah. It does a lot for sort of casual fans of sport and hopefully it grows the game. I mean, this is exactly the kind of break that we've been hoping for, for the PHF. Absolutely. And you know, like, it increases buy-in, it increases viewership, and it also it just increases the ability for people to fall in love with something that is, like, I think inherently easy to fall in love with. Also difficult, but also, like, inherently easy because the games are just fucking fun. <laughs> like, you know, one thing I wish that, I don't know, they could replicate from the Twitch streams, though, was would be, like the chat function or like (laughs) like if you could just like get a localized like twitter feed of all of these games like phf women's hockey twitter is great and really i don't know i think amplifies interest and understanding in the games and so you know if espn could find a way to sort of tie in some social media stuff like i think that would even help the audience grow it's a huge step forward for the phf Hopefully it creates a much more sustainable landscape for the league moving forward, which, mm-hmm. you know, the more sustainable the league go becomes, the more you can pay players. And really mm-hmm. like that's that like that's the real loggerheads between the PWHPA and the PHF is that in the PHF, theoretically, you can't make enough to make a living. Mm-hmm. And that's what the PWHPA wants and is like is advocating for. Right. And they're sort of following in the footsteps of the NWSL, which, you know, even this season is still figuring out like how to make people sort of middle-class paid playing a professional sport. Hopefully this sort of visibility, this sort of sponsorship, this sort of recognition moves that ball forward. You know, we saw the PHF change their salary cap from 150 K to 300 K this year. You're still not paying people enough to make a living, but it is a step in the right direction. And hopefully like this, this off season was step one in increasing that salary cap the next year and the next year and the next year until we finally see a league that pays its athletes enough to actually make a living. And with that, we can actually get into our preview of the season season preview. (laughs) You know, now that we've gotten the, extracurriculars out of the way um the off-season madness uh, we just we just thought there's only six teams in the league how about we just preview the teams mm-hmm. we're gonna go alphabetically here because we don't want to show you know our true colors at how much the connecticut whale are better than everyone but we're not very bright so toronto is going first no, no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh <laughs> Alphabetically first are the reigning champs, the Boston Pride. We could have just gone by standings, too. Also very uh, applicable. Judging by Boston's offseason, the defending champs seem really fucking determined to keep their uh, keep their place in the standings and you know become the first repeat champs. 
Yeah, they've won a couple, but never back-to-back. Right. So Boston managed to keep most of their core together. Jillian Dempsey, Kaylee Fracken, Mallory Suliotis, Christina Patinga, Lavisa Sealander, and Sammy Davis are all coming back this season. Most importantly, I think keeping the goalie in Lavisa Sealander because she keeps them in every game. They also <laughs> pulled some fucking coups in the offseason. I mean, uh, isn't that the story in small hockey leagues is the rich get richer? It's the story in our fucking league. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, I kind of... Uh, Open wound, pouring salt. Sorry. Well, uh, you know, sometimes I, I identify with, with the PHF. And you, <laughs> when, like, you see this roster turnover and, and like, really good players want to go play for the dominant teams, like, I don't know. I guess it's all sports. Alabama football like whatever yeah exactly yeah so um speaking of really good players wanting to play for the dominant team kayla friesen and caitlin russ from the connecticut whale these fuckers nah, I'm just <laughs> turn turncoats turncoats how dare you turn your back on the whale how dare you turn your back on the pod uh, <laughs> anyways uh so <laughs> so they uh went from connecticut to boston um Maybe even bigger, Amanda Boulier from Minnesota. Uh, that's a huge swipe, especially coming from your main competition mm-hmm. for the last two years. Uh, Amanda is going to add a ton of like firepower and depth to an already ridiculously stacked uh, lineup um, on the back end. Uh, a aggressive puck moving offensive defender who will join Kaylee Fratkin and pro- they'll probably both challenge each other for the most points from defense in the league this year. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Mallory Suliotis still there and still very good. Like yeah. that defensive core is something impressive. Um, and they're also adding former standout goalie from the PWHPA, Katie Burt, which is, you know, one of the more interesting stories because one of the few players to kind of cross the, pwhpa to phf gap lately i mean you used to see it frequently a lot of the players who are in the pwhpa are former nwhlers mm-hmm. spend some time there yeah i mean amanda kessel kendall coin schofield like these players yeah. all played if not one multiple seasons in the in the nwhl before further reinforcing that the uh rift between these two leagues is purely administrative so katie burke coming to boston a team that already had two very good goaltenders and adding another very good goaltender to it is what the kids would call fucking ridiculous <laughs> boston was not without their losses Teresa vanisova went back to europe and no! that she's my favorite Evan, evan's favorite player is gone um he'll have to find a new favorite player and you know what I will. Yes. Yes, he will. Um, Lexi Lang also is no longer in Boston, which does a a big hit on their depth down the middle. So they're going to find have to find some real center reinforcements here. Um, but let's be honest. If you're looking for a favorite to win the Isabel Cup, if you're a new fan to the PHF and you're like, I want to go with a winner, Boston's probably your team. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, great, great team. Great logo one of the independent franchises in the league, like even as the uh, outset, you know, favorite, 
they're still very, very rootable for. They're not the Patriots. Uh, yeah. Of all the teams you could root for in the Boston area, uh, the Pride are definitely the best one. Next up is the Buffalo Buttes, who are probably from the city in the NWHL that we would most like to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I, I legit like before we go in on the Buffalo Buttes, I legit had a dream, like a real <laughs> full on dream that you and I did a live show from a bar in Buffalo and Carly Jackson was our special guest. Wow. It was let's just fucking make it happen it was fucking awesome let's bring rob as like a equipment grip and DJ. yeah and then like let's all go like watch people go insane at a bills game yeah. and watch the sabers maybe win i woke up well they've been doing a lot of that I know, that's what i'm saying yeah. like the the buffalo renaissance is back on i woke up that morning it was like we must take this podcast to the next level. <laughs> we must go to... We must interview Carly Jackson. We must go to Buffalo. <laughs> yes. Let's go. I <laughs> love it. Uh, uh, so the Buffalo Buttes, uh, they had a rough go last year in the Hubble. Um, they were, I think, 1-4-1 and one overall. Uh, couldn't score any goals played, they were competitive in a lot yeah, of those games yes. but dropped a lot of them played very good defense and had stellar goaltending by the aforementioned carly jackson um they brought back mary joe pelletier uh to be one of the cornerstones of their defense along with uh, elena orlando who retired and that from the connecticut whale and then unretired to become a buffalo butte which is not at all something I'm pissed about. <laughs> the classic Jordan move. Go pod. <laughs> um, so the the Beats had a massive roster overturn this year. Um, Nate Oliver is their GM, and they went full like... I think we've gotten into this before. Balls to the wall is not about testicles. It's a... Uh, it's a dodgeball reference. No, no <laughs> it's it's a reference to fucking steam engines and uh, ball bearings in a like part of the uh, uh, what do you call that the the accelerator? I don't the the, the lever that yes. <laughs> so it's like it's like literally like pushing it to the barrier. I don't know. It, it sounds gendered, but it's not. That's it's, that's why it's super funny. <laughs> it's like that push it to the limit song from like GTA four that you hear 4,000 times as you're driving really fast across the city mm. as opposed to push it real good. Push it. real. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, um, <laughs> where were we? I have no idea where we were. Uh, uh, we were, we were at balls to the wall. Oh Yes. So Nate Oliver, GM of the Buttes, uh, decided that their plan of attack was going to be to fill out the roster very quickly and then allow that roster to gel in the offseason. Which is a very, very smart idea. Very smart. The very opposite plan of action for my beloved Tottenham Hotspur, who signs people at the very last second and then it's like why don't they incorporate themselves into the team why is this so stupid why do they suck it turns out they're good you just suck um anyways uh, sidebar uh this is a thing that should be more normal like i think that you know thinking of athletes as plug and play like kind of 
pieces of statistics that go into, you know, a system of, uh, under a coach, whatever. Like, I think that's a huge failing of uh, American sports understanding right now. Like, athletes are people with emotions and bodies, all of which have needs. You know, allowing for practice time, <laughs> like, it sounds so simple, but it's almost like revolutionary in some way. I, I don't know. A whole lot of people step into like expectations to perform yesterday and to just say, Hey, we're going to get this group together quickly and practice like, wow, what a thought. The Buffalo beats brought in a ton of new players, 12 new players uh, to round out their roster this year. Um, A lot of those are, you know, uh, PHF vet, uh, veterans, but a lot of them are rookies as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the defense is going to be the absolute calling card, I think, for this season. You have Carly Jackson, who's incredible. You have a solid defensive core, and you're not entirely sure where all your scoring is going to come from. So, what do you do? You lock it down on the back end. And, you know, with all of those new acquisitions, some of which are, you know, incredibly, um, uh, beneficial or should be incredibly beneficial. I'm thinking of like uh, Grace Kleinbach uh, in general, who, you know, will bring a lot of speed and skill to this team, to their forward group, which they desperately need. Uh, this is a team that on paper could make a lot of advances, uh, you know, this season compared to where they were last season, which was, you know, uh, unfortunately in the cellar. So, yeah, I think rookies in the PHF can make a huge impact because a lot of them are coming from, you know, really storied college programs. A lot of them are bringing a tendency to win to you know this team that could probably use a push. So, you know, I think we'll probably end up seeing a couple of those rookie players be stars or burgeoning stars by the end of the season absolutely speaking of burgeoning stars the connecticut whale (laughs) my pride and joy the connecticut whale they bring back a lot of their talent uh emma vlasic of my jersey fame uh (laughs) Alyssa wolfweiler tori howren are all back from the whale uh they did lose kayla friesen and elena orlando however they brought in some really incredible additions and so i'm really excited they brought former riveter kaylee hutchinson who will be kind of tasked with replacing some of the firepower lost up front kaylee will probably be in the top two lines immediately rebecca morse also formerly a riveter joins to kind of help solidify the back end that lost elena orlando but rebecca can absolutely add to the attack as well um, more of a like, kind of progressive defender they're also going to look to their rookie class perhaps no team outside of maybe toronto is looking for more from their rookie class the Connecticut Whale traded their third round and their first round picks in exchange for the first over pick overall. And then they took Taylor Gerard, who had a prolific collegiate career. And then they also took Emma Pulaski from Syracuse in the second round, two forwards who they're going to expect a lot of moving forward. <laughs> forwards who they're going to expect a lot of moving forward. I suck <laughs> at this game. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, especially Taylor Gerard is probably looking at rookie of the year candidacy. You know, 
it's easy to say that about the first pick overall, but mm-hmm. there's some real dynamism in their game. And it's so it's going to be really awesome to see where they slot into yeah. a, uh, into this Connecticut team and, and former first pick overall, Sammy Davis was like a contributor right out the gate right away. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think that the first pick overall in this league matters a lot. Yeah. And finally, uh, who I think might be the biggest addition to the Connecticut whale. Kennedy Marchment is coming over from Sweden. They were a dominant player in Sweden's top league for a number of years. Were initially a first round pick, I think in 2017 into the NWHL. How's this for a nickname? Machine Gun Kennedy? Uh, Good. Yeah, we'll go with good. Yeah, (laughs) they poured in points over in Sweden and there's going to be a lot of expectation on them here in the PHF. But my money says that they meet those expectations and they have an incredibly strong first year here in the PHF. Yeah, it turns out playing in Sweden good for hockey. Yeah, yeah, there there are a lot of good things hockey related happening in Sweden. Like everyone that's played in Sweden in the, the NHL, like has done interesting things. So, you know, especially with the Red Wings. Right. Uh, So last year, the whale went from an afterthought. They, I mean, they got absolutely shelled and shellacked in season five Mm -hmm. in season six and the wobble. And they made it to the semifinals and had a very solid and uh, proactive season. Looked really good. There's a, I think with the additions that they made this year and some increased goaltending there's a very good chance that connecticut has a very strong season so every league needs an antagonist you know the nhl has the blackhawks <laughs> uh, yeah uh, this is maybe not as uh, stark or uh, embarrassing but uh you know um the metropolitan riveters still kind of bad yeah you know had some issues kind of starting in the wobble and then lost their most progressive player in Soraya Tinker to Toronto and seems to sort of have doubled down on the barstooly turfy land thing. It's an interesting predicament because uh, they have Madison and Anya Packer, Madison Packer, the captain mm-hmm. of the Rivs and Anya Packer, the GM who are both seen as kind of a light in the league. Yeah. Uh, they're and, both lovely. And, they're hilarious on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, my God. Their Instagram with their kid is adorable. But they also have Rebecca Russo and Kelly Babsock, who were the two participants in the interview with Erica Nardini that set off the entire firestorm in the Wubble last year, who have yet to speak out and nobody has ever said anything. Which uh, revealed some interesting bits in that, like, Eric Nardini was like way closer to buying a franchise. Three teams. That, uh, yeah, than anyone ever let on. That has never really been kind of atoned for or explained. The fact officially. The fact that Soria Tinker last year used her platform to come out and say, we don't fucking need Barstool in this league, uh, which set off yet another firestorm yeah no fancy she's no longer on that team anymore yeah, surprising also i ordered a sorry tinker metro riveters jersey and they just sent me a blank metro riveters jersey and so i mean a size smaller than you ordered too if i remember correctly it was what i ordered but the sizing was weird let's just say my connecticut whale emma vlasic jersey is a gem yeah you know 
I might have to get a second jersey. So uh, a Toronto Six Soria Tinker jersey would look great on you. The Riveters, you know, if, if if there is an antagonist in the league, it's definitely the Rivs. Their league issues weren't um, limited to just like dabbling with Barstool. They also were fined for communicating with a drafted player prior to the opening of free agency, which to their credit, Anya Packer was like, hey, that's on me. I screwed this up. I take responsibility. I am the GM and I and I screwed up. And it was a very interesting 2021 for the ribs and i think probably the entire team and organization is hoping that the 2021 2022 season is a departure from that a season where they cannot be the antagonist in the league let just let boston do that um <laughs> yeah. let your let your dominant team be the antagonist yeah, boston does that don't, don't give people league. a reason yeah. to dislike you yeah so they're just going to kind of like fade into the background and win some hockey games and, you know, maybe win an Isabel Cup. You know, their entire draft class this year were defenders. And so they're going to put a lot of emphasis on the blue line this year. And they brought in uh, Brooke Willedgeco from formerly of the Connecticut Whale to be uh, to kind of round out their 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 goalies. Mm hmm. It, it it was an interesting season and off season for the ribs. And you know, here's me saying hopefully they put that behind them and we can just watch some hockey this year and uh, have a good season. Yeah. Um, you know, with any antagonism, their direction will be of the healthy sporting kind. Uh, yes. But yeah, you know, would we love to see them be less aligned with Barstool and, and that kind of vein of thought? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right, Evan, let's talk about your team. The Minnesota Whitecaps. Nina Rogers signed on to be an assistant coach at Dartmouth this offseason, um, which takes a really powerful player out of their ranks. That's that's going to be a little bit tough to replace. Allie Thunstrom is back, along with Jonna Curtis. Losing Boulier, who we alluded to before, is a huge loss on the back end, and they're going to need to replace that kill, skill and offensive ability somehow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Minnesota just announced on November 2nd that they signed Lexi Lang, one of the better centers in the PHF from Boston, adding a lot of necessary depth and skill to their forwards. As of writing this, Amanda Levier has not re-signed, but it'd be shocking if she wasn't back behind her fish pads for the upcoming season. I mean, like... Come on. How the fish you, pads. You can't get rid of the fish. You, you need a player for your fish pads. Uh, she'll never live it down if she doesn't wear the fish pads this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Minnesota doesn't have a goalie signed, and it's the Wednesday before the season starts. This could be fun. That's my jersey I want. If I could get fish pads in a jersey, like I just wear goalie pads around. I'd be jealous in my In my regular life, like that would be pretty cool. Um so, you know, here's to hoping that she resigns quickly. Indications are she. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, all indications are that she will, but, uh, you know, hopefully they don't have to just play with an extra skater. Or like David Ayers just shows up and is like, <laughs> don't worry, I'm here. Yeah, I mean, you know, and hopefully she doesn't sort of tuke a rasket either. I honestly think uh, the Whitecaps could take a 
pretty significant step back this year. They lost a lot of players. And while John Curtis is awesome um, and Lexi Lang is awesome and a great addition and, you know, fingers crossed Amanda Levier is on their team again. Um, this It feels kind of like they're the team that treaded water the most. Yeah, it might season. be sort of a regression candidate. Yeah, and not because they got significantly worse. It's just because other teams got better. Mm-hmm. Which is, a, I mean, you know, this is a uh, bit of an arms race. Yeah, this is like... This is the uh, bad boys Pistons. Did they get worse? No, but the Jordan Bulls got better. Mm. Like, so, you know, it's it if if Amanda Levier signs and is their goalie, then all bets are off the table because she's incredible. Um, yeah, it's amazing what goaltending will do to just let you hang around and finish games and, and be in, a, in games you shouldn't otherwise be especially in, in a short season mm-hmm. you know if it's a 82 game season and you have a great goalie yeah they might steal like six seven eight nine games and you're like oh wow it's a really good thing that Bobrovsky came back around in a 20 game season and they steal six seven eight games that's huge yeah that's that's, that's playoffs or or better yeah, yeah. for sure so uh, Amanda Levier coming back may undo everything that we have just said about the white caps, but uh, they also kind of feel like the most obvious candidate for regression this year. That's easily one of the largest sort of player storylines entering the season is, is Amanda Levier going to play or not? Like it's definitely a bit of a Levier watch. All right. Toronto. Finally. Yeah. Going up north. Alphabetically last. And maybe last in our hearts. But, I mean, they are sixth, so... Ha! <laughs> uh, they also um, part protagonist, part antagonist, because, like, mm-hmm. Digit Murphy's still there, just, like, patrolling with a scowl and hating <laughs> transgendered folks. Um, so, in the offseason, Digit Murphy made most of the headlines for the Toronto Six, having put her name and face to the Women's Sports Policy Working Group and their transphobic agenda, uh, which was, let's say, not great. And yeah, and never really sort of substantially disavowing that agenda, that group. You know, she she stepped back and was not officially a part of it, but never really said, I didn't believe in this. You know, so... Pretty yeah. hard to, you know, take her being for what we hope the league is for. Yeah. Uh, in an interview with uh, D.F. Pendries, like they were given multiple opportunities to say, I am not transphobic and never said I am not transphobic. Mm-hmm. Like, like they just were like, oh, I just put my name on it and didn't really do a lot of research. But like. Just say it's awful and move forward. Okay, I'm getting a little aggressive about the Toronto Six. <laughs> Anyways. Well, um, that's something we've covered before. And, you know, one of the sort of sticking points in the league. And so, you know, when given an opportunity, yeah, she doubled down and didn't disavow this group. And, and it, it, hopefully that becomes a nothing like we would love that that just receded in the background and the hockey took the center stage. I would love if like this season happened. And then at the end, like digit Murphy just kind of unceremoniously left the league mm-hmm. and like, 
because we're not going to get a retraction. We're not going to get a, oh my gosh, that was horrible. I'm not a transphobe. Like, we're not going to get that. We know that. Like, we're that's not going to happen. Right. But if they just, like, quietly left, cool. To Toronto's credit, Digit is no longer kind of the face of the franchise. They're not right. the coach. She's kicked They're, upstairs, if they, you will. Well, she was already the president, so she relinquished her title as head coach that title is now uh, um, owned by Mark Jocelyn, who had most recently spent four seasons coaching the Toronto Patriots in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, hmm. um, had also been the GM there. Um, and the kind of the bigger acquisition, name-wise at least, uh, Hall of Famer Angela James wow. is the assistant coach for this team, which is a coup yeah, on, I mean, on that, many that, levels. That is men's hockey hall of famer angela james like, like, like she is in or not men's hockey but like she is in let's just start that over. sorry yeah that is like all of hockey hall of famer angela james like she's one of the uh names of any woman in hockey in general in, in all of hockey she's I mean, hands down one of the best female hockey players of all time uh well let me restate that she is like one of the best hockey players of all time. One of the most remar- uh, like recognizable women's hockey players in the history of the game. And yeah. she's just hanging out coaching folks in Toronto. Yeah. One of the few players along with uh, men on rum to like get a lot of press hockey worldwide. So, you know, Toronto set out this off season to kind of like retain what worked in their first, their inaugural season. Uh, and so they they did that. They re-signed Michaela Grant Mentis, uh, M- uh, MGM MVP Michaela Grant Mentis. Uh, they also re-signed Cheyenne Darkangelo, their captain, their goalie Elaine Chuli, Emma Woods, Emma Greco, Lindsay Eastwood. They brought in Soraya Tinker, which was a great move, bringing her home, the bringing the Toronto native home. So they did a great job of re-signing their established talent, uh, especially those backline uh, folks in Emma Greco and uh, Lindsay Eastwood. Uh, they also um, they drafted eight players in this year's draft, including having the third, fourth, fifth, ninth, and tenth overall picks, which is kind of absurd. The Arizona Coyotes strategy. Uh, uh, for next year, yeah, the exact <laughs> opposite of the 2021 draft coyote strategy, right? Um, the but, headline, like, we're just gonna hoard picks, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have like what, like 13 in the first three <laughs> rounds next year. I love it. I mean, you know, if you're gonna go from bad to good, that's how you do it, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Meg- Megan Bears, uh, they who they took third is going to be the most high profile of these draft choices, uh. The, fir- the person they took fourth overall had already committed to play in Austria, so is gone. Um, I am sorry. Yeah. I have to go. Uh, they actually played for Ohio State, so I'm going to guess that uh, accent is a little off. How? What accent breathes through its mouth the most? <laughs> um, I, I refuse to do an Ohio State accent. Fuck Ohio. <laughs> they added Taylor Davison, which um, was a great addition in the draft, and also Annie McDonald. Uh, those folks have already been signed uh, and should add a lot of depth and snarl and you know progressive puck moving attitude to the team. Most importantly, however, uh, they added Michaela Kava 
to a forward core that is incredibly fast, incredibly skilled. They scored the most goals in the Wubble, and Mikhail Kava crushed it in Sweden the last couple of years and is mm. another one of those transplants mm-hmm. who should have a major impact on the PHF this season. This They're, is going to be one of these teams that like beats you in a track meet. They are six, Edmonton. Yeah, 6-5 <laughs> every night. 8-7. Eight, uh, eight, if you ask me, Jake, what team are you going to watch every game of outside of the Connecticut Whale? The answer is the Toronto right. Six. Like, it's going to be Toronto score six goals to win. Yeah, it's six. it's going to be so much fun. Uh, I mean, let's not discredit Elaine Chuli, very good goaltender no, in their right, but not like, at all. yeah, they are an offensive team who is going to play a progressive style of hockey that blows the doors off of a lot of teams, and it's going to be great. Yeah, on paper, it's like, oh, yeah. They're going to score a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's our kind of like team, team by team. Team previews. Uh, some predictions for the looming PHF season seven. The pride got better. It's hard to believe, but yeah, they they did. I think obviously losing Teresa Vanasova and Lexi Lang is a huge loss. Great centers make teams, and Lexi Lang was probably one of the most underrated players in the league because they were the second-line center in Boston behind Jillian Dempsey. She's playing her trade elsewhere this year. However, Boston's so stacked. Yeah, I mean, they replaced all of those three players with equally good as, or maybe, you know, could even represent upgrades in, you know, Friesen, Russ, and Boulier. Like, yeah, uh, a huge coup. Rich got richer again. Uh, hate to see it, but respect the grind. Yeah, <laughs> on top of that, uh, they brought in Katie Burt, who is an incredible goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in case LaVisa Sealander goes to the Olympics this year, they were like, we'll bring in her. Oh, who is she? Yeah, she's really fucking awesome. Well, and what we've seen in the NHL is backup goaltenders bring you really far. You know, it, your backup goaltender is almost as important as your two C and we've, you know, hit that nail on the head many, many times. Yeah, absolutely. This team is absolutely loaded. Uh, Their closest competitor from the last two years, Minnesota appears to have kind of taken a step back. So at least on paper. Yeah. The proof will definitely be in the pudding with respect to Minnesota. I mean, the fish pads they've, yeah. When they play a game, if she, if Amanda Olivier is there and if they do well, like standing pat will look like a decent strategy. But in the off season, when you're kind of looking for movement and looking for, you know, refreshes of players and, you know, maybe get hoodwinked by like the Blackhawks, uh, additions of players that suck. We'll see when the pucks start flying. Right. But since this is a preview mm-hmm. and, this is all on paper. Correct. You know, Minnesota appears to have taken a step back. The other four teams in the league are kind of unknowns. Boston seems to have gotten better. And so no team seems prepared to kind of take advantage of the opportunities of a new season like Boston is. Yeah, correct. I would say if there's a team that is most primed to kind of take a step forward it's connecticut uh that addition yeah. i mean their additions and you know their uh 
moves seem the most convincing of, of the teams that didn't win the championship last year. I agree. Cause the <laughs> whale are the best. I also think one of the storylines or one of the um, kind of predictions of this year is that newcomers are going to feast on this league. Hmm. We talked about Kennedy Marchment and Michaela Kava earlier. However, you know, there's a bunch of players who have come into the league in this draft. We got Taylor Gerard coming in. Um, but there's also a bunch of young players. Uh, I'm thinking of like Emma Vlasic, Soraya Tinker, Sammy Davis, who are young but now experienced and have the ability to kind of take that next step with mm. leadership positions on their teams. And so I think season seven is going to be not so much about the established stars. They're still going to be there. Jillian Dempsey's still incredible and she's going to hit a hundred points this year and it's going to be <laughs> a worthy celebration. A mm-hmm. um, hundred points for her career, not a hundred points in 20 games. That would be absurd. Um, but I mean, like, you know, if would anybody. love to see it if it happened yeah. but like i think this year is the year that the league kind of turns over a little bit into like the next phase of its stardom and we start to see the a bunch of the names we've talked about earlier really kind of establish themselves as the new wave as this like the next punch of skill that's in the phf you and know I, it's gonna be really cool to watch I'm really interested in this huge crew of rookies that Buffalo is going to play. It's like meeting new friends. You know, you know, at least one or two of them are going to be stars. You have 12 rookies <laughs> like <laughs> or 12 new players, but yeah, we're going to get, we're just going to, we're just going to throw it out there. We're going to get wild here. Um, not Minnesota wild. Evan might get a little Minnesota wild. Oh yeah. We're going to talk about standing. We're just the, the f- end of season predictions. We're not going to forecast Isabel Cup champions. We're not going to forecast who makes the playoffs. What we're going to just say is these, this, this is our projected uh, standings at the end of the year. Okay. End of the regular season. I'll go first. Mine might be a, looking over Evans for the first time. Mine might be a little less controversial than Evans. Well, I go for, I mean, you, you I think my, my predictions are more like will. <laughs> it's more like i i want this to happen you love fucking with me too so uh, yeah and also yeah. if you put together like a very you know button up suit and tie like official prediction i'm like yeah i'm just gonna shit post i'll do largely chalk at the top i think boston and toronto are the top two teams mm-hmm. um toronto made some great additions boston is boston it, boston is at this point tampa where like they're the best team unless you prove them otherwise. Mm. And we've seen Tampa kind of sputter out of the gate, but figure it out even minus Nikita Kucherov. And I think that we might see a little bit of a regression first off uh, as Boston uh, introduces new players. But by the end of the season, they're number one. Toronto is going to be a mainstay in the top. I think Buffalo with their new players, I think they figure it out. We talked earlier about how Nate Oliver brought in all of these players early on to allow them the chance to become a cohesive unit and to gel. They've played a couple of preseason games and they've been dominant and Carly Jackson is unreal. So I have Buffalo at three. I have my beloved whale at four and I almost put them above Buffalo. And honestly, I think the offensive firepower in Connecticut could actually uh usurp maybe even toronto in the rankings 
But to be safe, I put Connecticut at four. I think Minnesota takes a big step back, not as big of a step back as they could. I think they're number five, and I think the ribs are number six. So going with my list, uh, very different, uh, you know, just to be different. I think Minnesota finishes on top. I think standing pat shows to be a solid strategy. And they beat out their longtime rival Boston to get the accolades that I'm hoping they get. Uh, Connecticut, as you pointed out, is going to be a scoring machine. And so I think that they finish third. How do I have Connecticut ranked higher than you do? Maybe that's just realism versus uh, and realism s- and analysis versus uh, shit posting. I, I didn't say that Connecticut wasn't going to win the Isabel Cup. I just said I think they're going to take fourth in the regular season. Oh, I see. We're talking regular season. Yeah, yeah okay. well, whatever. Yeah, behind them I have Toronto, who you know has a lot of new faces. Might kind of struggle early in the season. Buffalo, who has been a work in progress and and will kind of be. Con- Continue to be a work in progress, even though they will probably get better. And then I have the the ribs last, as you do. The only thing we agree on is that the ribs deserve. I mean, the ribs will be last. <laughs> All right, and finally, uh, we've done this in our NHL season preview for I want to say the last two years, but mm-hmm. it's only been like eight months because we've gotten to do two NHL season previews in that time. MGO blog, which is a Michigan university of Michigan football blog does a three opportunities for us to look stupid. And boy, would do we take those opportunities? Uh, like just hand in hand down the street, uh, singing a merry tune. So this is three opportunities for us to look stupid um, for this PHF season. First off, newcomers Kennedy Marchment and Michaela Kava will battle it out for the points lead and MVP honors. I'm going to say Michaela Kava wins it because she is playing with a more up-tempo team in Toronto who will, as we talked about earlier, probably score like five to six goals a game. I I think Michaela gets to 24 points in 20 games, which would be Ooh. unreal. And I think that's enough for the scoring title and MVP honors just edging out Kennedy Marchment and as a dark horse, but maybe not so much a dark horse, Sammy Davis. I'm thinking Amanda Leviate does in fact come in back and play for Minnesota. And she is the catalyst that leads them to a very good season. I think she barely edges out Sealander to be the best goalie in the league. Probably Carly Jackson right behind them. And uh, yeah, I think I think Minnesota, you know, defies the offseason lack of hype and forms a really good team. I am going to suggest that you are slightly wrong and that I think Carly Jackson is going to have the best goals against average and save percentage in the league this season and steals multiple games for Buffalo, who very greatly improves on last season's performance. I love how you lay out like specific metrics in there that we can like go back and look at. Yeah, I like being proven wrong. So this is fun. (laughs) Well, you know, also take some courage to put that on the board. Like, I love it. I don't have any pride, so it helps. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any Boston pride? I don't. I think Buffalo in general, the youth and the big roster churn means that 
they aren't a they don't fully gel this season so they're not a championship caliber team yet but i think they're much better and i think they make the playoffs but i think carly jackson has one hell of a season so early buffalo naissance not late buffalo naissance yeah another stupid prediction i think at some point a commentator on ESPN plus openly questions and criticizes the efficacy of the new PHF trans inclusion policy. Wow. I think this sets off a firestorm. I think it'll be awesome. I Mm. think we will report on it, but I think they probably get a cease and desist order both from the league and from ESPN because ESPN hates it when their folks have opinions (laughs) um, outside of Stephen A. Smith his opinions are written for him. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like it's kind of an inevitability that this happens. I think that caused enough of a firestorm. And I'm just like hoping that a couple of the folks who are going to hmm. call these PHF games will educate themselves enough on the league to know that this happened and just address it in some way during a game. I'm hoping it's like a boston connecticut shootout where in like the middle of the second period the commentator goes by the way (laughs) and like evan and i's ears go what (laughs) hello and so i i i think that happens at some point i think much like we've seen journalists like rick westhead and katie strang who follow the nhl beat kind of beat the drum for this uh bringing up constantly the sexual harassment issue with the Chicago Blackhawks. I think this issue on the PHF side is, is is very important. And I think somebody against the will of their employer brings it up this season. That's a bold, bold prediction, Cotton. And I am here for it. I don't have a, a similarly equal bold prediction. I, I think that there will be a lot of really exciting hockey played. And we will be sucked into ESPN Plus and here for as much of it as we can be. Yeah, I would love if this trans inclusion policy got a little bit more of uh, sanitation by sunlight and we talked more about it. I think that would be a big, big movement in the course of the season. I, I think we stated this once and we'll say it again. The season starts this weekend, November 6th. All teams are playing Saturday and Sunday. They play weekend games. You probably don't have anything better going on. So <laughs> tune into ESPN Plus and check out some women's hockey. It turns out you'll probably fall in love with it because it's an incredibly skilled and fast-paced and energetic game. It's different from the NHL in that you know that you don't mm-hmm. have the Tom Wilson uh kind of like stupid masculinity bullshit that goes involved yeah it's not unphysical there's definitely still hitting oh absolutely uh, but there's a little bit less of the like kind of dipshit masculinity that we kind of deal with yeah in the NHL, for and, sure. and in a way i think it makes the phf more watchable than the nhl sometimes and so check it out to anybody listening to this check it out it's mm-hmm. it's so much fun there's a great vibe to the league it really kind of just like hits on all of those. This is kind of what I feel like hockey should be kind mm-hmm. of vibes. Yeah, it does. It does in some ways feel very pure. Yeah, it, it, it's really competitive sports in a professional context brought to you largely by the dedication and passion of the people involved. A lot of these people go through 
a lot to play this game and make sacrifices both personal and professional for long hours to bring us this very exciting product. So we're fully here for it. We only hope that they can get better and better paid so that the product gets better, more exciting, and more professional. But this is a super exciting league to watch and be a part of. It sort of feels like you're getting in on the ground floor and it's going to just go bonkers from here. I'm excited for this new season. And one of the things that makes it super fun is like following these players on Twitter. A lot of them are super funny on Twitter. You can see Mallory Sliotis's cats. Uh, The Packers are both hilarious and very prescient on Twitter with their kind of addressing, you know, some of the issues around hockey in the league. And Soraya Tinker is a juggernaut. Yeah. Just amazing. So, you know, the personalities I think are one of the things that brings me in as a viewer. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them play hockey and not be on Twitter. Like, you know, I want to see some pucks flying. I want to see some hits. I, I, I want to see some awesome goals and we know we're going to get that. We're excited to get that. And I'm uh, really looking forward to this season. Yeah. If you watch the NHL, you'll notice that none of the players have personalities <laughs> except for like Robin Lehner and the David Pasternak and David Pasternak. And God, David Pasternak is beautiful. He's wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very seldom that you see an NHL player with a personality. And a lot of that is because they're following the same script and it's like Gary Bettman's script and it's, yeah. lame and boring and none of the nhl personalities uh, are as outspoken or as authentic as any of the phf personalities yeah. so if you like hockey if you think hockey is cool if you have smelled a hockey arena and thought it was wonderful <laughs> check out some phf hockey this weekend uh november 6th and 7th on espn plus you all know you've got it because you're all streaming nhl games <laughs> check it out give it a shot. We can't recommend it enough. It it just feels like a, it, like one of the like most beautiful elements of hockey that is out there. This sport that we all love. Yeah. That's one of the things that makes this ESPN move so great. It's like, Oh, you like hockey. Oh, there's just more hockey right here. You can just jump over from this hockey to that hockey. And you know, the more you learn about it, the more enjoyable it becomes. I think you have a final prediction. Oh, uh, yes. Zambonis, we will have them. Lots of them. And if we don't, burn the PHF. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The PHF uh, Zamboni watch is hilarious. Zamboni watch is where it's at, folks. Um, and with that, thank you so much for listening. This has been our premier hockey federation preview. Uh, it's women's hockey at its finest. And dive in, enjoy yourselves. We are Handsome Hockey Podcasts. You can find us all over the internets at handsomehockey.com is our website. Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram, where we post, you know, mostly other people's shit, but occasionally our own. <laughs> at Handsome Hockey on Twitter, where we post mostly other people's shit, but even more of our own. And we also, you can connect with us if you want to email us at uh, handsomehockeypod at gmail.com. We also have the Handsome Hockey Facebook page where we post lots of memes, but also some serious stuff that, you know, people should really be taking into account. And obviously you're listening to us somewhere, but we are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Red Circle, and YouTube. And finally, watch some PHF, folks. It's so fun. Like, we can't 
stress that enough. It's just really fun. It's good hockey. It's creative and skilled and fast, and you're not going to be disappointed. Thank you so much for listening to us. Stay handsome, everybody. Restez beau, tous les mots.